millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Zoom filter makes me look about 10. Yeah, you look about 21. Can you do the same with me? Girl, I look like fucking Lily Savage. Welcome, this is episode four of the Paul Ryder Tapes. As we all know, Paul tragically passed away in July of 2022, but in the months leading up to his death, he sat down with me, his ex-wife, Angela Smith, to tell his complete life story for the very first time. We had no idea he was going to die and that this series would become part of his legacy. Coming up in this episode... And I phoned Barney up and said, listen, I said, there's a band we should go and see. It's only 50p, um, although probably 50p then was quite a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I said, we should go and see these bands. I said, they have a fight at every gig. I remember third year at school, the English teacher, I always remember it saying, everybody's got a talent. You might not have discovered it yet. Mm. And I was thinking, I ain't got a talent. I, I'm not talented at much, really. I didn't like the Sex Pistols. Uh, I appreciated them years later. In fact, um, down the line, as years had gone by, I met quite a few of them at different social functions. Okay. Doesn't seem like a week since we were here before, does it? No. What have you been up to this week? I've been up to... Cooking's my new favourite thing. Cooking? You never yeah. used to cook. I can cook. What did you make? Filet mignon. No way. Yeah, that's great. You just throw it in a frying pan and fry it. Right, that doesn't sound like oak cuisine though to me. No, it's good. It was, it was pretty good. And what did you have with it? Um, What did they have with it? Asparagus. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Cooking, went to a jazz club. A jazz club? Where? Yeah, and... Um, Marietta, oh. old town. It's like in a western oh. town. It's like going back in time. Yeah. In Marietta. Yeah, and this is all this theatre that they've done up. This, I think it must have been an old warehouse. Yeah. And they made it into this theatre with um, jazz, not my favourite thing, especially the type of jazz that was going on that night. It was like lots of. Flute, flute, and twenty-minute solos on the drum, and twenty-minute flute solos. It's a type of jazz that Gaz Whelan says makes him hungry <laughs> for food. What? And now I know what he means. What does that mean? Because I came out of there starving. <laughs> what it robbed you of your nutrients? Yeah, I was only it? in there like half an hour. Uh, it was like half an hour was twenty minutes of a flute solo. <laughs> 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 we came out starving. I had to go and get some junk food on the way home. Oh, no. But it was nice to get out. Nice to see a new town. An old, well, an old town, but new tours. Yeah. 
Yeah, you could imagine like horse, horse drawn carriages going down the main street. There's all these new buildings, and you go down this little street, and it turns into this old main street. Wow! It was, and it was all lit up at night, and it was looked fantastic. Yes. So we did a bit of jazz, did a bit of cooking, watched licorice pizza. Have you seen oh, that? All right, no, is it good? Yeah, it's good. What's it's it about? Good. It's a bit of a love story, really. Yeah. Yeah, but it was, it was worth watching. And you went shopping? Went shopping, my new favourite place, near Palm Springs. What? Um, the uh, designer outlet. Yeah. I love a designer outlet. I love a bargain. Yeah, me too. I always loved a bargain. Yeah. I refused to pay full price for clothes. Yeah. So tell me about what you bought. John Vavatos, my new favourite go-to. You've been in this shop in New York? No. It's the old CBGB's club. Oh, I used to live right by there. Right. I, literally, it was the end of my street when he I lived bought, in New York. He bought the old CBGB's club. Yeah. But it's exactly the same inside as oh, it was cool. when it was a club. And he's just got racks of clothes oh, inside nice. the club. Nice. Have you been there? Yeah, I've been, yeah. It's just exactly the same as it was the day it closed down. <laughs> Graffiti Excellent. all over the place. I'm sure it yeah. is. I saw my world, the world's biggest cockroach in CBGB's when we played there. Really? It was that big. <laughs> I think Maybe it was that big. <laughs> or it might be Sean Ryder. But no, it was that big if it was our kid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, his shop's brilliant. Yeah. And it's full of old musical equipment like reel to reels and old keyboards and TV sets. And nice. really, that's my new favourite go to designer. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the coat you bought. Bargain. Go on. Bargain. Should have been $700, <laughs> something like that. Got it for $150. You said 120 before. 120 So you're, you always knock a bit off when you tell me how much things cost. Yeah, that's old. That's an old, old habit, habit, that, isn't it? <laughs> old habits, I have. That was one of the signatures of our marriage was... You'd go shopping and you'd buy something, I'd say, how much was it? You'd always not. I always want to at least 25% off. off. Yeah. And it made, made it feel better. And you'd hide them in the back of the car, in the trunk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and make sure I burn the receipts. Yeah. I, but I'd always find them. I'd always <laughs> rumble you. <laughs> and then you'd wear something and be like, oh, is that new? No. But it years. No, no. No, but it years. Yeah, and it was new. We'll come to our marriage, our marriage a bit later on. So we, we left the last episode. You, we were still talking about your childhood. Yeah. Um, and uh, what we didn't talk about were your mum and dad's influence in terms of the music that they were into and the culture that was going on at the time. Yeah. Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, Chuck Berry, people who was famous in America, but you hear them now, but. Not over here at that particular time. We both liked Fats Domino and I had not meant... My friends weren't all that interested in Fats Domino. They met in the 1950s. I mean, they was married when he was 21. And they were born in... Uh, 42. 42, 42, 62. Yeah. Married by 62. But when they was teenagers... It would have been 1950, 52 or something like that. No, they'd be 10. If they were born in 42, they'd be 10 in 52. Told you it was shit at math. <laughs> I had a pen friend in America 
and I used to get a lot of records sent to me before they came out over here. So that was probably what attracted him to me, that I had all the latest records. <laughs> so when they were 18, it was 1960. Right, OK. OK, so before that, they must have met when he was 16, because it was still the days of rock and roll and Elvis. Right. And that came through in the 50s. We'd got this record collection and they'd come and take ours and play them in the room. And then the majority of our records, especially all the Duane Eddy ones, ended up on the Albion jukebox. They used to put, took them in the pub and they put them on the jukebox there. But before the rock and roll, my dad was into skiffle, which was a precursor to rock and roll. Mm -hmm. Skiffle music with Lonnie Donegan and people like that. Paul's mum, Linda's best friend, Sandra, is the mum of Mundy's drummer, Gaz Whelan, and she was married to Ken, Gaz's dad. Ken was a teddy boy, obviously. So was yeah. Derek. So was Derek, yes. Yeah, the coffee and bars, but exactly. it wasn't drinking. No, it wasn't. And then, we, you know, we, we went to the clubs driving because we were both dancing mad and Ken was dancing mad too. And my dad used to, when he was at school, he used to go around the classrooms, him and his mate, my dad on guitar, singing, and his mate on a, on a washboard. And they'd entertain, the, they'd entertain the school doing this skiffle music while he was, while he was at school. And we were too young, but they, they let you have a drink, you know, but we didn't drink a lot, but we drank. But the thing is, you were safe. There was teddy bear, bet teddy bear, well, some of them will have thought there were teddy bears. Teddy boy <laughs> fights, of course, yeah, loads of fights. But you know what? It fists. was one against one and it was fists. It wasn't knives or anything. And usually there was a reason why them two were fighting, usually over a girl. Over a girl? Yeah, and they'd have a fight. It wouldn't be that you were walking down the road and these lads saw mm -hmm. And a gang had set on yeah, you. Yeah, mm -hmm. don't like the look of him or we could pinch his money. And they go and they batter him, we'll knife him now, don't we even? None of that. There was none of that. But not long after that, you, you've got your Elvis, you've got your Buddy Holly, you've got your, uh, you got your Fats Domino doing doing rock and roll. He he was spreading his wings from his from his blues stuff, turning into rock and roll. We used to go to this place on Regent Road for rock and roll. It was called the Academy on Regent Road. But anyway, my dad, my mum and dad was into this rock and roll, which was like a new cultural revolution. You know, never seen anything like it. I never had a drink in my life till I was old. Give old. No, honestly. She'll blame me for this somewhere. No, I didn't. The first time. Duke, what did no. you do? What sort well, of life did you have? Well, Probably a very sheltered one because don't forget, oh. I know. I remember my dad telling me a story. He went to went to the uh, cinema to see Rock Around the Clock, and before the end before the end of the movie, uh, everyone had ripped out all the chairs in the cinema, and what? there was a riot because <laughs> it was yeah. inspired by the film. Yeah, because it was they was watching the movie and it was so jacked up on rock and roll, and and like. Parents hated it. It was like kind of a rebellion thing. Yeah. So he was ripping up all the seats. Yeah. And he, the then he became a teddy boy. He was a teddy boy by then, yeah. I mean, the only place I could go to was the church youth club. You see, you could have come on the bus with me at 7 o'clock in the morning. I'd have been led astray a lot sooner then. <laughs> What's a teddy boy? It was, it was like a cultural movement. 
Teddy boys wore these really sharp suits, winkle picker brothel creepers shoes, and they had quiffs and and what you call a DA, a duck's ass at the back, <laughs> the way it was folded over. Right. You know, so he was a teddy boy. And my mum was a teddy girl with these polka dots, rah-rah skirts, yeah. flat shoes, so they could do the uh, rock and roll dancing. So they was brought, they was teenagers when that was going on, which, looking back, mirrored my youth as, uh, as punk was coming through. A couple of times, I was a bit of a naughty girl. No! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I did go to the Bodega Club. Oh yeah, Lonnie yeah. Donegan and Chris yeah. Barber was in yeah. the was in the band oh, playing. Yeah. It was like a jazz club. Yeah. As punk was coming through, same kind of thing. You know, it's like parents hated it. Yeah. You know, this is disgusting. People swearing and like. I remember well, seeing I, a headline when I was fourteen at school, and it was Johnny Rotten in the Sun. I think it was the Sun, and it said puke rock because he used to throw up and I thought it was called puke rock not oh punk rock <laughs> <laughs> no it was definitely punk rock <laughs> definitely punk rock and that came from I think that came from a journalist in um, I think he was American who, yeah. who first who first uh, used the term punk rock and were your parents into that or were they too old at that point into punk yeah your dad was wasn't he I didn't like the Sex Pistols. Uh, I appreciated them years later, you know, what, they, what they'd done and what they were doing. And uh, in fact, um, down the line, as years had gone by, I met quite a few of them at different social functions that we were at. Yeah, my dad was always into music. You know, he, he changed with the times. <laughs> You know, he had a great collection of, uh, which is what me and our kid used to listen to when we was like six and seven years old, was their record collection, right. which consisted of Elvis, Buddy Holly especially, um, The Beatles, The Stones, Fats Domino mentioned him before, and some movie, Rock Around the Clock, they had the movie soundtrack. But... Um, that's what we listened to when we was growing up. Mm. But he, he was when punk came along and we was teenagers. He was he was well into it. I think he liked the Stranglers most. Yeah. And the Pistols. Yeah. There was that classic gig, wasn't there, in Manchester, that Mick Hucknell was seen in the crowd of. Oh, the Lesser Free Trade Hall. Yeah. 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 The, the Pete Shelley put it on. Pete Shelley from the Buscocks put that show on. Yeah. And the Buscocks was supporting the Sex Pistols. Right. And 90% of the audience went on to be in Manchester bands. Yeah. Who else was there other than Mick Hucknell? Bernard from New Order went on to be Joy yeah. Division before New Order. Hooky from New Order. I'd been reading about them in the music press. <clears throat> and uh, I was on holiday in Cornwall. Four of us were sleeping in my car some holiday um, oh. for a week in Cornwall. I bought the, um, I can't remember whether it was Sounds or the new, the Melody Maker, and the front picture was the Sex Pistols fighting at the screen on the green. Right. So I was aware of punk, uh, even though I was a heavy metal fan. Um, to me, their attitude and their sort of everyday life, their struggle, if you like, 
sort of rang a lot more um, bells with me than Jimmy Page or, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, even though I liked heavy metal music. So I was intrigued mm. by it. Uh, when I came home, I noticed I always read the evening news. I still do it now every day. I always read the evening news cover to cover. And in the small ads, I spotted an advert <clears throat> for the Sex Pistols at the Lesser Free Trade Hall uh, for 50p. And I phoned Barney up and said, listen, I said, there's a band we should go and see. It's only 50p, um, although probably 50p then was quite a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> um, I said, we should go and see these bands. I said, they have a fight at every gig. That was the allure. Tony Wilson was uh, me cooking all. Uh, Marky Smith from the fall, he was there. So me, Barney and Terry Mason, our road, our, my friend from school, and um, Barney's wife went to see them. And it was terrible, to be honest. They were bloody <laughs> awful. They were fucking terrible. Uh, it was just a massive feedback. And uh, basically Johnny Rotten telling everyone to fuck off. The Buscocks was there because they put the show on. But, like, yeah, a lot of people went on to farm bands. I, I was watching it, and I thought, you know what? I could do that. I could tell everyone to fuck off. And I said to you know, Barney had a guitar, and uh, I simply said to him on the way out, I said, we should form a band. We should form a punk band. And he went, all right, you go and get a, a bass. And I went, right. And, of course, I didn't know what a bass was. Amazing. When I went to the shop, I said to the guy, uh, I want a bass guitar. And he said, oh, how about this one? And I went, oh, no, no, no. I said, that's only got four strings. I said, my mates has got six. <laughs> and he, says, he said to me, that's because your mates is a guitar, you knob, and this is a bass. And I went, oh, right, okay, miss. <laughs> you know, I was 20, 20 years old. Brilliant. Uh, so, yeah, I literally didn't know my ass from my elbow. So uh, he, he said, do you want this one or what? And I went, how much is it? And he went 30 quid, and my mother had given me 35 quid oh, wow. to get this bass guitar. So he said, I said, right, I'll have it. Really inspirational. Mm -hmm. Very inspirational. Do you think kids, when they're kind of in their late teens, it seems to be in, in the DNA to be rebellious and to, to find something new and to use music to express that. Mm. Do you feel that you guys went through that? Was that the sort of mechanic that got you into doing what you were doing? Not being rebellious. Not being rebellious. But ours was more like we didn't want to sound like anybody else. So we kind of like invented our own music. But what was driving you to do that? Um, for me personally, it was it was a way out, a way out of normality. Okay, but you could have chosen. You could. You said you wanted to travel. You could have been a tour rep. You could have got a sales job that involved going abroad. Like, why music? Because music's powerful. It's okay. a powerful thing for a, a lot of people. Explain more about that. Well, it changes you. It can change your feelings within seconds. Right. You know? When you're playing it or when you're listening to it? Listening to it, playing it. Is it more powerful when you're playing it? Mm, more powerful when you're writing it. OK. 
Okay. Knowing that it doesn't sound like anybody. Yeah. Mm. And how does that make you feel? That makes me feel, or made me feel, original. Right, well, what was the feeling that it engendered in, in you inside when you wrote a bass line? You thought, oh, that's really good. Oh, it's, um, it was a joyous feeling. Do you feel like you had a special talent that you've found an outlet for, or do you feel like you just got lucky and were able to just do something don't, that was fun? I don't think it was... Not at the time you didn't think it was a special talent. It was, you were just doing what you was doing. Um, I remember third year at school, the English teacher, I always remember it saying, everybody's got a talent. You might not have discovered it yet. Mm. And I was thinking, I ain't got a talent. I, I'm not talented at much, really. I mean, I was okay at rugby. <laughs> <laughs> but is that, you know. Uh, but it wasn't year, till years later that I realised that I can play a bass guitar and that's kind of talented. Did you... Did you not realise that other people couldn't really do that the way no. you could do it? No, I thought everyone could do it. Yeah, I think that's the same like with really good singers. They don't understand that it's a talent no. at the beginning, do they? Because it's no. just effortless. And I think that's the definition of a real talent is when it's just effortless and mm. you have a kind of channel to up there and it just comes. Mm. That's when you've found your... That's when you've found your special talent. Yeah. Did you ever get that feeling? Do you remember when you realised, oh, hang on a minute, I'm good at this? Um, probably nearly 40 years later, when we got an Ivan Novello Award for being the most in in inspirational band. Really? You know, it took 40 years to get to get a, an accolade. But didn't you realise before then that you had a special ability? Not really. It was just doing what we was doing. It was just normal. Yeah. What about when... We're going to jump ahead a little bit here, but it's kind of relevant. There, there was a, quite a number of years when you weren't in the band and there was a substitute bass player. Mm-hmm. What did that sound like to you? I didn't really hear much, but I, I know they did a live album and I've heard some of it. And it's just not the same. It's just not... They don't even sound like the same songs. Oh. They just went off on a tangent. It's like those Top of the Pops albums. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly what about. it was like. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <clears throat> we talked a little bit last time about the, the start of the band. And in the original incarnation of the band, it was you, Sean, and who else? Me, Sean, and Mark Day. Yeah. Wasn't Matt Carroll involved at some point? And Matt, oh God, yeah, and Matt. Matt was in the band with Sean and Lanky that was terrible. What were they called? Um, I can't remember what it was called, but they had a song called Voices in the Dark. Right, and Matt's your cousin who's Matt's cousin. part of Central Station Design, who yeah, did that logo. Yeah, did that band. there. So the early Mondays, before it was called the Mondays, it was called Avant Garde. Oh. Yes, with me... Sean, Matt and Mark. So we had two guitar players, a bass player and a singer and a drum machine. Um, and that probably lasted four months because oh. Matt was a terrible guitar player. Oh, was he? Yeah. He Did he know he was bad? Yeah, yeah, I think he left. Yeah. We didn't have to sack him or anything, he left. 
Gaz Whelan, the drummer from the Mondays, disagrees. Well, Matt's not officially left yet, has he? He's never been told. Never been told. Never been told. He's all, no, he'd left. He'd left then. He'd left. Yeah, he was just. He was just uh, Paul, Sean, and Mark. You know, but he went on to find it is um, his talent, which is graphic design. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. That, pointing at that again. Yeah, so Matt was in Matt was in the band early doors, uh, and after Matt kind of left, he's an artist as well as a graphic designer. Yeah, he? yeah, he's done some yeah. great stuff. The drum machine we had only had three beats on it: rock one, rock two, and bossa nova. <laughs> so he was kind of limited. Um, so we needed a drummer. That's when Gaz got involved. Yeah. Oh, and then we were still avant garde when we did our first gig with Gaz. Okay. Yeah. Where was the gig? The gig was at Wardley Community Centre. Right. <laughs> and who who came to the to watch you? Oh, it was full. What friends or just random people? Just people from around the area. I think they... we put one poster up in the news agents. Really? Saying there was a, was just going to be a gig at Wardley Community. Did they pay Centre. to see you? Yeah. Wow, I wonder yeah. if we could ever find anyone who was there. Do you oh, know anyone? No, yeah, of course I do. All, oh. all Gaz's mates. And also Gaz Whelan's brother Jason. It was our youth club. So every Friday we had a youth, you know, youth club disco and all that, uh, you know, bottles of cider outside and all that, as you do growing up. And the geezer who used to run the community centre, a guy called Fred, heard about this local band and basically did the, uh, you know, the local charitable thing and gave him the first gig. So it was like pretty much all my mates. It was all a load of 13, 14-year-old uh, drunk on cider kids, you know, lads, all pretty much our school because it was our, it was our youth. You know, it was, instead of a disco, we had this gig. So it was like, wow, what's going on here? And it, it was just mad. It was just madness. And then from then on in, it was like everybody locally had this interest in them. We need to get somebody yeah. to talk about Get Kingo on the phone. Kingo, who's he? He's, he's the hairdresser. Okay. He's got his own shop called Kingo's in Swinton. You hear me now? Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yeah. You hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yeah. So you're Kingo? Yes, I am, yeah. yeah. It's good to meet you. It was really weird because um, I've not spoken to Gary since the funeral, really. And um, yeah. I sent him a text and I was like, do you have any idea where we could get hold of a guy called Kingo? Um, and he's like, yeah, I'm seeing him tomorrow. I've got an appointment with him. It was just like really weird. The time yeah, was just really weird. Anyway, what was the gig like? Yeah, there wasn't loads there, but there was enough to fill that place. Yeah. Uh, Derek Ryan was obviously the roadie then, and he remained the roadie, didn't he? Yeah. But, yeah, I actually mentioned this to Gary because I said you did Joy Division covers i remember these days and he did a depeche mode cover they were doing their own not their own thing i don't recall them doing their own song whether they did or not i'm not really sure we did three joy division songs one depeche mode song and two of our own one song called saigon we was obsessed by vietnam and this was this tv show on late at night and we did a song about vietnam which we really liked but sean hated it and his lyrics were brilliant but he hated it so we never did it again so we did that and he kind of just passed everyone by the people just went Everyone, all the local kids came and watched it. It was like, oh, all right, you know. But it was only young lads, you see, so I think it was something to do better than sat on the park 
let's go to the community centre, watch this band of theirs. So do you remember, do you remember whether, did they play their instruments right? Did they get the songs right? What was right to us, obviously, was a load of young lads who weren't musicians. So as long as it was just a bit of a rattle and a load of noise, it, it seemed right to me, yeah? Like yeah. say, if it's like a racket and a load of noise, you enjoy yourself, don't you? We just to get a gig under our belt, it was fun, it was brilliant. And then that's when PD joined afterwards. Because we went outside and he wouldn't let anybody near us to talk to us. My band, it's not, I don't remember it, but everyone was saying that everyone's going, it's my band, keep away, keep away. I don't remember that, but that's what everyone else says happened. So someone said, they've got to get him in the band. And how was Sean at singing? He was all right, yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah, he was okay. But, you know, like I say, again, it's sing how you want, don't you? Like I say, as long as there's a load of racket when you're a young lad and everything, it was, yeah, it was that sets it quite well. Paul, if someone went in King O's Barbers this week, he said, doing podcasts, they're calling me from LA now. So I'm going to have to get some merch together. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? I think we did three joys. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Division of songs. Joy Division of songs was quite easy because the bass line's not on one string. Right. Which was great for me because I was yeah. still learning how to play. Yeah. I'm not saying that they're rubbish. I'm saying they're even more complicated because they're on one string. Right. You've got, you've got to, you've got to um, use your imagination a bit more. You played intuitively, didn't you? You never learned music theory. No. Tell us about that. I had one bass guitar lesson. And unfortunately, it was the same time as Top of the Pops, the same day and same time as Top of the Pops. So I'm having this bass guitar lesson in the, in the living room at home, all the time thinking, I'm missing Top of the Pops there. <laughs> so um, after that one lesson, I had no more. Really? Yeah, I'd rather watch Top of the Pops. Right. I suppose you probably learn more from actually watching people yeah. play than you would be being taught. Yeah. So... How do you learn an instrument without being taught? Like, what? How do you learn intuitively how to play something? Well, you find a record that you like. Yeah. And um, one good trick is not to slow it down, not to slow the record down, to find out what the bass line is. You speed it up. Oh, how do you do that? Just by putting it onto... 78. 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, Wow. So you learned all your songs that way, literally by copying the records and yeah. speed it up. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then when it came to writing your own bass lines, mm-hmm. how did how did that work? 
Well, because I'm not trained and I can't read music, even though I was copying bass lines, I could never get them exactly right. So they always turned out to be my bass lines. <laughs> I could never get them spot on. So I'd copy some kind of Motown bass line, getting a few of the notes wrong, but it still sounded okay. Yeah. It still sounded in tune. Yeah. So they just turned into it turned into my style. So give us an example of a Mundy's bass line that's kind of very similar to a Motown classic or another kind of classic. Oh, um there's one that's a complete rip-off. This great, <laughs> great, great, great bass run from all the way down the bottom of the neck to the top. I completely had that one out. What's your favourite bass line that you've ever written? I think it would have to be Kinky Afro. Yeah? Yeah. Why? Because it's so simple. It's just two notes. But it's the feel of it. Yeah. It's the feel and the groove of it. When you're playing the bass... How much is it hitting the right notes and how much is it injecting that feeling into how you're doing it? Oh, you've got to hit the right notes, otherwise it's yeah. going to sound terrible. But the feel is so important. Yeah, that's... The feeling of it. Yeah. yeah. That's how you don't sound like Top of the Pops, isn't Yeah, it? that's how you don't sound like other people. Yeah, yeah. You've got your own feel. And what? how would you describe your feel? Mmm... A groove feel. That's kind of yeah. Nick from Funkadelic, kind of. Funkadelic grooves and, and, and Motown grooves. Okay, so you've done your first gig as avant-garde. Mm. What happened after that? Well, we got rid of the name. Why? Because um, I don't think any of us really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> who, who came up with the name? I think it was one of Matt's, our uh, Matt. Yeah, it's very, very, very artsy, isn't very it? Very artsy, yeah. Yeah. So we got rid of the name. Matt had gone. Gaz on drums. Gaz brought in PDs, mate from school. Um, we were still rehearsing in Matt Day's parents' loft yeah. in their attic. Yeah. So the next step from there was to find a proper rehearsal room which we did because Mark's next-door neighbour was a caretaker at the local school, junior right. school, yeah. and he used to give us the keys on Wednesdays. And was that official or was that under the table? That was under the table. Did you have to pay him? I think we gave him £3 or something like right. that. Right. Yeah, <laughs> £3 a night. So we got our... Um... Did you make a mess in the school or did you leave it as no, you found it? No, we left it as we found it. Yeah. My mum and dad knew the caretaker next door and... Um... They agreed as well. I thought, we had to pay a fiver for the, the electricity. Well, could I get a pound off each of them? It's only on 30 quid a week. A fiver was a lot of money in them days. What was your image back in those days? Well, if you're in London, you'd call it casuals. Yeah. Or if you're in the northwest of England, you was a Perry boy. What does that mean? That means you wore Fred Perry T-shirts... Um, lice jeans, pod shoes or kicker's shoes, um, slazenger jumpers. Yeah. You know, it was like, it was from the football terraces. Right. It was, that's where it all began. Did you get involved in the whole football violence movement thing? I used going... to go to the football a lot, Man United. I used to go in Stratford and where it, when it cost 50 pence to get in there. And, um, 
That was about 1975-76. And then by 78, there was a lot of football violence going on. Hmm. It was like, hey, it's not really worth it. No. You know? no. I don't want to get slashed by a, a carpet cutter. No. There was a lot of it going on. Did you ever get attacked or anything? At I the got football? chased, yeah. Really? By who? I think it was by Liverpool. Chased through Manchester. Wow. Yeah. You got away, though? I got away, yeah. yeah. Scary. Yeah. So I never really got involved in the football violence. No. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you were rehearsing then, you were called the Mondays, you were going to the school every night, and then at what point did you think, right, we're ready for record companies to see us? Um, well, we did a demo. My dad's mate, through the, through the local... Um, Northern Working Men's Club scene. Um, my dad's mate had a little studio, which we, uh, my dad paid for, oh. and we went in and recorded three or four, excuse me, three or four songs, and it was our demo. What were the songs on the demo? Do you Ooh. have a copy of it still? Yeah, I've got a copy. Do you? Yeah. Were they ever on? Were they on the first album? Or? Yeah, they were. Delightful was on there. Right. What else? This feeling was on there. Yeah. What else? Anything? Is there anything that was on the demo that didn't make it to the yeah, album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had a demo, then what happened? I sent off the demo to every record label I could get an address for. Right. And I think I think there was like 15 or 16 different labels, mm -hmm. and I've got 15 or 16 rejection letters at home. Have you still, still got, got them? them? Have you still They yeah. made it through your fire and everything? It was my mum's house. Oh, lovely. She's okay. still got them. Right. So I got rejection letters off every major um, label. And what was their reason for rejecting you? Uh, oh, sounds good, but not quite what we're looking for. Right, it's a standard yeah. response. Yeah, and it wouldn't be what they're looking for because it was brand new music. Right. They'd never heard it before. Yeah. So... That, that didn't disarm me, that just made me want to carry on even more. There's a lesson, isn't there? I mean, a lot of people, if they sent their work to all of the potential outlets for the work and every single one rejected them, they'd think, oh, maybe I'd better get a real job now and mm. go and work in a kitchen factory. That's the opposite effect on Tell me about Tell, that's really important. This is a really mm. important inspirational mm. lesson for people that are listening. Yeah, no, it just made me angry and it made me think they were stupid. <laughs> for not getting it but with hindsight you were absolutely right weren't you yeah. yeah 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 so what was the next step then what do you do if everybody said no to you um we needed to get more shows more gigs okay you ended up london records came to see you so obviously yeah. you got some sort of interest was that from yeah. that initial mail out or was yeah, that subsequent that, no, that was from the initial so mail you didn't out. get 16 rejections you got one potential bite then didn't you yeah, but not. It wasn't really encouraging. It was like. What did they say to you? Um, it's interesting. We we might be in Manchester in three or four weeks. We might come and see you. Right. You know, it wasn't like okay, let's go. Right. We're gonna be but up. they did come and see. But you. they did come and see and us. How yeah. did you feel when they got you got the call saying we want to come and see you? Oh, it was exciting. And what did you all think? Like, do you think, well, we've, we've already made it, we're going to be superstars? Probably. Yeah? Yeah. Do you remember when you got that call? We got a letter first saying, give us a call on this number. Right. So none of us had 
make the phone call. We was all too scared. <laughs> so, so my dad had to do it. And then he arranged for them to come up and see us in this school, this, this classroom at the school. That's when the bricks came through the windows. Gaz Whelan, the Mondays drummer, remembers that night only too well. So they arranged to come up. and we, It was an old school. It was like an old church. It had a big bay window. So we'd set up playing. And they turned up and they were from down south and they were always a bit nervous coming up north anyway. And it was in an area that was okay, it wasn't a bad area or anything, but they packed up and said, the car's okay outside. We're like, yeah, fine. And they came in and literally, halfway through the first song, a brick came through the gable end window. And I think it was an old girlfriend of mine, I'm not sure, because she used to hang around there and we'd fallen out. And they all dived on the floor like we were under attack. And we, got, we said, it's fine, we got up in there. <laughs> and they, they went and checked the cars and they came back and they said, uh, does that normally happen? And Derek said, uh, yeah, but they must be getting good. So they said, why? He said, because it's only half a brick this time. The bricks, I mean, you couldn't make that up, could you? No, no. And you don't know who did it or no, why? No. It wasn't Matt, was it? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. And you've never found out who it was throwing the, throwing the Did that put them off you, do you think? Possibly. Yeah. No. But... If that is the case, and mm. the bricks haven't come through the window, then maybe you wouldn't be where you are now. That's true. You know, it all happens for a reason, doesn't Everything it? Everything for a reason. Okay, so they came to see you and they said, yeah, it sounds good, but you don't have an image. You don't have an image and it's not quite what we're looking for. And they said to us, we'll sign you if uh, if you get an image. And we were like, well, this is how we dress. They said, no, you've got to have an image, you know, like Culture Club. We always went, oh, fuck. And then they got in touch about two weeks later and said, they'd sign us on a deal if, if we got a, if we changed our image and got a stylist and we all just categor categorically just said, no chance, you know. The clothes are important as the music for us then. And uh, I'm, I'm glad we stuck by that. That was the end of it. That was it. And you've, yeah. you've seen these guys since? Oh, yeah, yeah. Where? Yeah. When? What happened? Well, we signed our publishing later on to London Records. Yeah. So they were still around. Right. They came to a gig, did they? Oh, yeah, yeah. And we met them in the offices when we signed our publishing. Right. And it's, I remember them saying, it took a few years, but we got it, yeah. Did you go, no, 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 no. No. Oh, that must like, have been really satisfying. Yeah. Very satisfying. Yeah. So, Gaz, do you ever feel his presence around you? Too much, yeah, all the time. I always think, like, now I'm doing this solo work, whenever I'm doing stuff, I'm always thinking he's judging me. I always think, well, oh, they can't do that. Paul would call that cheesy, or Paul would do that. We, we had, I remember... <laughs> we had, <laughs> like, he said... When he had his house in Crumsall, and there was these two old... These, was in the post office, these three old really old Jewish women with these big glasses and he said fucking hell it's from DMC and 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 things like and things like that and 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 he was just and he was he was the funniest person I've ever met in my life we're almost at the end of the show but please keep listening for a really important announcement coming up in a minute coming up in the next episode are loads of guests including Peter Hook Dave Haslam and their very first manager Phil Sachs Sean tells the story that they used to come to the stall and knit stuff and I think that's rubbish because I used to have a big iron bar and if anybody put their hand through the you know to pinch something I'd smack it when I got the tape and listened to it I thought wow this is interesting 
I wouldn't say it was a, the you know the highest quality, but it certainly had a, a shambolic uh, edginess to it that was very interesting. They couldn't have been less bothered about helping me write something interesting about the band. Sean was great. Sean was still Sean, the Sean that I like and love. Right. You know. But, and what uh, is what does that mean? Funny. Artistic, friendly. We're playing out with Never Stop by Big Arm. We'd love to hear from you if you've got a memory of Paul that you'd like to share on the show. Please send us a voice note via the website and join in the conversation on our social media. The web address is paulrider.tv and there you'll find links to some cool merch as well as all our socials and you can also become a patron of the show by following our Patreon link. Please give us a nice review and rating and also please subscribe if you've not already done so. We will be back next week with more. Thank you so much for joining us. See you next time. I'll take you for a ride. I'll have you by my side. This is Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.